So I think, if you don't mind, we will get started right away on David becoming king. What we didn't have this morning was this, which we hauled up from upstairs, which is the Ark of the Covenant, which I built for Good Friday um, and preached a sermon in front of it on Good Friday. <laughs> Thank you, Herb, for knowing your Bible. Evidently better than King David did. Uh, we'll talk about that here in a second, but I've got other pictures. Uh, this, uh, this particular uh, image is, uh, you see David holding kind of a giant harp in front there. Looks like it would take more than one hand to hold that thing up. Like I would need a couple of kids to carry it while I tried to play it. You know, um, I, did, uh, I did in high school, briefly senior year, play the sousaphone. And I was glad that it had been invented because the regular tuba would have been a real difficult thing to carry around in the marching band. Um, I did have to hold the field trombone um, in marching band that year too because my band director decided to switch me from cornet, you know, light one-handed, no problem, to these gigantic brass monstrosities. Um, and uh, so anyway... Uh, yeah, Ark, what, what's wrong with the Ark of the Covenant in the picture is uh, maybe a couple of things. It doesn't, to me, look gold at all. And uh, it's also not covered. Also, at least they're carrying it on their shoulders. I do like the contemporary outfits, though, because it seems like whenever we see artwork of biblical times today, painters always use what they think of as ancient clothing. And painters in the, in the Renaissance just used whatever was whatever people were wearing out in the streets. You know, so by that token, what would Jesus, a carpenter, probably be wearing? Probably tennis, jeans, and a polo shirt, right? Uh, so it, if we were going to paint Jesus today. Um, but uh, the attempt to bring the ark to Jerusalem, a couple of these chapters are kind of short. So we'll just uh, get right into him. Chapter 13, David consulted with the commanders of the thousands and of the hundreds with every leader and said to the whole assembly of Israel, remember that the theme of Chronicles is, are we still God's people? And we're asking that throughout the book. <clears throat> and at this point, uh, we got to wonder, what about with mistakes we've made? Well, guess what? David made some pretty big blunders too. So David said, if it seems good to you and receives approval from the Lord our God, we should send word everywhere to our brothers who remain in the whole land of Israel and get together with them. We will also send word to the priests and to the Levites in their cities with their pasture lands that they should assemble with us. We will, and notice the priests have fields and things here in the text. We will bring the ark of our God back to us because we did not seek it during the days of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to do it because it was the right thing to do in view of all the people. Why did David want to bring the ark to Jerusalem? Look at verse 3. They hadn't been consulting it. And how long had Saul been, how long has the ark been gone? 43? No, we've got to add 7 to that. 50 years. 50 years. And they have not been using or consulting or uh, doing the Day of Atonement sacrifices with the Ark of the Covenant. 
uh, maybe we should also, um, uh, 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 to the ladies in the room, where do you, I mean, don't, don't answer literally, but where do you keep your jewelry? Do you keep it out in the garage? Do you keep it at the, at the, at the cottage? And, you know, do you keep it out under the boat? Um, no, you, I'm going to guess you probably keep it somewhere near your bedroom dresser, right? Um, and uh, don't answer, though. I don't want to know, and I don't want people listening to this on the Internet to know. But nevertheless, uh, where did David want his most precious treasure? Let's get it inside these walls here. Let's get it safe. So David gathered all Israel from the Sihor River, uh, the Shehor River, rather, in Egypt, to the entrance of Hamath. Lebo Hamath is way up north on the way to Mount, Mount, uh, Mount Hermon. Uh, to bring the Ark of God from Kiriath-Jearim. Um, so uh, uh, why, why involve the whole nation in bringing back the Ark? Why, why tell everybody? Yeah, what if we were going to pick up St. Paul's Church, bricks and all, and move it to, say, uh, Essig? Who should we inform? Carl's Corners. <laughs> the members. The members. Okay, the members, yeah, and, and Carl's Corners. I'm thinking of the bigger fellowship hall. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we have... And if you're going to move the Ark of the Covenant, if you're going to move the tabernacle, you have to tell the nation, we're going to move this now. We're going to kind of see that I'm not sure that David had that in mind yet. Because it doesn't say he built the holy place or the tabernacle. It just says he pitched a tent. So all through these chapters, you get the idea that David hadn't really done his homework about what to do with the ark or where to put it. Um, so remember that Israel had lost the ark in the last days of the judges. First Samuel 6, there's a battle, and Eli's sons, Eli was the, the high priest at the end of the days of the judges, his sons pick up the ark and they're going to go into war, battle against the Philistines. They get killed. The ark gets taken, it gets captured. And Eli hears the news and what happens to him? falls over backwards and breaks his neck and dies um, when Samuel is, is young. And then, so, uh, uh, eventually how, what, what, the, what happened? The um, Philistines were getting terrible, uh, I think that our translations usually say tumors. Um, I, I believe hemorrhoids is what it probably was. Uh, and so they send the ark back along with golden pictures of their tumors uh, and, uh, and, and rats and things and, they, and, they, and then with cows and they send it back and it gets this far and uh, they, they take it to Kiriath-Jearim um, a little bit halfway between Philistine, Philistine territory and Jerusalem in the mountains of Judea. It's the second star there above Jerusalem where it says Kiriath-Jearim if you can kind of read that. That's where it's been sitting for about 50 years. David now wants it in Jerusalem, which means that David is, has captured Jerusalem, which happened seven years into his reign. So they now have Jerusalem as their city. He hasn't quite yet built his own house. So the first thing David does after capturing the city is let's bring the ark in here. 
So I got walls, let's move the ark in, inside the walls. David and all Israel went up to Baala in Judea, that is this Kiriath place, to bring up the ark from there, the ark of God the Lord, who was seated above the cherubim and who was called by the name. So the cherubim on the ark here, my, <laughs> my uh, styrofoam ark, is what's supposed to be that thing on the top there, our cherubim with wings facing each other. Um, and then the Lord would be, the image the people had of the Lord is that he'd be above it, maybe hovering, something like that. By the way, these are the dimensions of the ark. This is actual size. But if you look at the slide um, here, I've got a little 3D thing to show you. So the, um, the uh, Ark of the Covenant was built of wood, ordinary wood, two and a half cubits long, cubit and a half wide, cubit and a half tall as well. A cubit is from here to here. It's overlaid with pure, or, or, or rather with overlaid with gold, and a kind, some kind of a rim is built around it. Uh, it has uh, rings set into it by the feet. Now in this video, that's not where they are. They also have them in the sides and not the long way. It's kind of weird. But they built poles, and overlaid them with gold, inserted the poles, and the poles were not to be removed. So leave the poles in was the idea you get. And then uh, a cover... The atonement cover was built so it could be set inside of that sort of rim, pure gold, with the cherubim, these two angels with wings, uh, then sitting on top of that atonement cover. This is a very simple way of, of designing it. Um, and they're uh, resting, kneeling on the gold cover with their faces looking down at the gold cover and their wings just about touching. It's kind of elaborate, but that's kind of sort of like what it looked like. The, um, I have a little bit of, a, of an issue with this because of where the rings are and the poles because they, had, they have it in the video as if the poles would be over here. Um, different way of, of holding it. And actually, might be, when you think about it, this thing, because the, 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 the bottom is wood overlaid with gold. The top is solid gold. So if you pick the thing up, it's going to be top-heavy. Yeah, in a big way. You know, very, very top-heavy. Um, uh, and so uh, there are different ways of thinking about this. People who, who uh, draw pictures of the ark and so forth, they often want the poles to be up high. I, that's how I have this, the, the, the rings here, because um, I was thinking of that too. Sometimes I try to cheat a little bit and put them halfway down. And, but then sometimes it's depicted with the poles on the bottom. And the text of Exodus says that they are to be attached to the feet. The rings are attached to the feet, except the word for foot in the text is not the ordinary Hebrew word for foot. It's a word that's usually translated anvil. So it's the heavy base or the heavy base and support. And so that's why when I built this, uh, the, the, the anvil, the, the foot down here, is attached all the way up, holding the case together, and then the ring is still attached to it, just kind of in a distant way. I was thinking of it being so top-heavy. I'm not really sure. Uh, there are different ways of looking at this, but the art. You can see that the one on the screen is a lot more intricate and detailed, of course, than, than, 
than my, you know, that's, this is styrofoam and, and uh, gold wrapping paper. Sorry to burst your bubble, but, uh, but it lives downstairs in the old kitchen. Um, so anyway, let's keep going. They transported God's ark on a new cart from the house of Abinadab. Uzzah and Ahio were leading the cart. Right away, what has David done wrong? What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to carry it. But David, what? Ladies, what's wrong with all men? Well, not a, not a step further than that. We don't read the, the directions. David could have read the directions, could have read the instructions. And uh, by the way, wives, don't look at your husbands right now. We were talking about this. But, but uh, yeah, so we don't. And um, so what does David do? Huh, heavy thing, put on cart, take away. You know, that's, that's what he does. And uh, uh, so David and all Israel are celebrating enthusiastically before God with songs, harps, lyres, uh, hand drums, cymbals, and trumpets. And we get lost in the musical instruments and everything. Um, and you have different representations of what this may have looked like. David there is with a big harp on the left, and uh, there's a priest with incense on the right, and you've got God's name visible between the cherubim wings, if you can kind of see it. What's wrong with this? And you've got guys singing. They've all got their sheet music there, right? Um, yeah, I am Jesus, little lamb, or whatever they're singing. And uh, however, uh, it's uncovered, and they never would have or should have carried it uncovered. So that's that mistake in the drawing, but we'll see. When they came to the threshing floor of Kaidan, Uzzah reached out to grab the ark because the oxen stumbled. The anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah and the Lord struck him down because Uzzah reached out his hand to the ark. He died there in the presence of God. Um, this is an uh, artist uh, idea of what happened, although the oxen there are not stumbling. If it were a two-wheeled cart instead of a four-wheeled wagon and the oxen stumbled, you'd understand what happened. The, if the oxen go down, they're attached to the cart and the whole thing would have tipped forward, right? So that, was the, that probably was the kind of problem. Um, they did have four-wheeled wagons. In fact, in the part of the book of, of Numbers that I'm writing devotions on right now, they were to, the, the, the Israelites were to supply four-wheeled wagons, uh, covered wagons, to the, to the, um, uh, to the Levites uh, for transportation of the tabernacle items. Um, and some translations kind of shy away from saying covered wagons because uh, they, you know, I, I don't know, covered wagons. But if you, uh, if you look at some ancient uh, pottery toys, some, uh, what's it called, terracotta toys that people made for their children, sometimes they are wagons and they do look a lot like like the American West Conestoga wagons going over the mountains with Davy Crockett or whatever. So they really do look like that, and uh, so maybe. But Uzzah, Uzzah died. Um, what, what really is the lesson here for any leader? Don't put your people in danger. Read the instructions. Um, if I'm going to do something, I'd better know what it is that we're doing. And it, it might not always be mechanical, although it certainly could be, right? You know, 
Um, should I let my five-year-old drive the four-wheeler? You know, um, what if he might be tempted to do that and I'm going out of town? Can't I disable it? You know, take temptation away from him or something like that? I can at least pull out the spark plug or hide the key or something, right? I, uh, something I can do or, um, or take a tire off or whatever. But, uh, um, but there, and there are other things. But with regard to a spiritual leader, what about my doctrine? What does Paul say to Timothy? Guard your life and your doctrine closely. Um, so watch what you're telling your people. Um, make sure that it's in line with the rest of, of God's word and with our children too. I used to tell uh, this, uh, or use this example when my kids were younger. I, so some of you have heard it because you've been going to Bible class since 2001, um, with me at least. And that is, let's pretend that my children are still small. Okay, not 25, but two to five. And you walk into my house and uh, my wife and I are off on our, on our date and you walk into my house and there are my sons in our kitchen playing with knives. What do you do? Tell them to stop. Or either take away or tell them to stop. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Um, uh, that's pretty good. At least you said something out loud. Nobody else said anything, so I might hire you. Um, let's let's uh, rewind the scene for a moment. Same scene. I'm going out on a date. My sons are home. My children are home. You, you get there to babysit for me. And you get there, and there they are on the kitchen floor playing with knives. And the house is on fire. What do you do? Get the kids out of the house, right? There's a different emergency. And with doctrine, we have those different issues. Is this a heaven and hell doctrine right this second? Or is this something we could talk about? You know, so for example, is it a question of who wrote Job? Or is it a question of are my sins paid for? Those are two different doctrinal questions, aren't they? One needs to be answered right this second. One can wait a little while, although I'm going to answer it at the end of the next half hour. David was angry because the Lord had burst out against Uzzah. That place is called Perez Uzzah, burst out against Uzzah to this day. David, now not only angry, but afraid of God. So David was afraid of God on that day. He said, how can I bring the ark of God to me? Um, it's a dangerous thing. Anybody know what this thing is? This is Fat Man, the second atomic bomb that dropped in World War II. This is such, this picture is at that point in its life when they hadn't given it the finished coat yet because they had just assembled it. Um, and they haven't given it its final coat of paint. So it's just, it's two different colors here. Um, anybody know uh, about what happened with those bombs? While they were practicing uh, uh, what to do and how to assemble and what happens with uh, uranium and so forth. Um, the the uh, the uh, sample they were working with uh, here. They've got kind of a protective tube. They didn't always do that. It I think it broke its its uh, protective jar or container. It was going to tip and fall. And one of the young men working in there grabbed it and set it back up, and then let go, realizing what he had just done, and how many hours he had to live. There's nothing anybody could do for him. 
But before anybody did anything, another one of the scientists in the room grabbed chalk off the blackboard, threw it to everybody in the room, and said, mark where you're standing and sign it. So everybody wrote down where they were standing, how far away they were from the accident, so that later on, as they all began to get sick and die of radiation poisoning, they would, they would begin to have some data about this. But this was a dangerous, dangerous thing. After the bombs exploded in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, yeah, and people, some survivors, would find rocks and fused glass and things that like, were tingled. And they thought, oh, it's good luck. I'll put this under my pillow. Or I'll wear it around my neck. I'll give, it to my, I'll give a piece to each of my grandchildren. And they're handing out you know, radioact, radioactive waste. And it was, was awful. It was, nobody knew. They didn't know what it would do. All right. Dangerous stuff. David did not take the ark along with him into the city of David. He set it aside in the house of a man named Obed-Edom the Gittite. Gittite here could be a reference to the Philistine city of Gath, which would be a huge irony in the life of the ark. But there are other Gaths. There's a Morasheth Gath, where, um, is that where Micah, the prophet Micah is from, and other, other, a couple of other Gaths. The ark of God stayed in the house of Obed-Edom for three months, and the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belonged to him. So this man, Obed-Edom, was nearby, and David said, it's, it's, you've got to keep it in your house. I don't know if this is what they did. Reminds me of the little shed my dad made for our boat when I was a little boy. Um, and uh, But... If it would have been me, it, it might have come right in the living room. You know, you guys were talking about not having a shower. You know, when you're doing reconstruction in your house, maybe you don't have a living room for a few months. You just live without it. It's the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, let it have its own room. You know, that, I, I might have thought that way. And not put it outside under the lean-to with the chickens or whatever. But... But what happened was this guy's house was blessed. So, um, yeah, I wonder, did the chickens lay well? Did the wine that year turn out well? Did grandma get better? You know, did, you know I've been having trouble with my hearing. Did it clear up? Good harvest, perfect weather, no foxes, you know, whatever um, happened. They were, they were blessed at Obed-Edom's house. I want to tear through a little bit of chapter 14 here. Uh, events of David's reign. Hiram, king of Tyre. This is the Hiram who later would help build the temple for Solomon. So this is 35 years before. So I think Hiram here is pretty young. His son's name was something else. It was um, uh, Abibael or something like that. So this is that Hiram. He sent messengers to David along with cedar logs, stonemasons, and carpenters to build a palace for him. Uh, uh, the good trees are in the northwest, just like the good cedar trees, the good pine trees in America are in the northwest. Same concept. Um, that's the lower of the two red things there. This is Hiram's tomb. I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but this is around 1920. So after 3,000 years, that's what his tomb looked like. And now after another 100 years, this is what it looks like. Let me go back. A hundred years ago, after 3,000 years, and today. Pretty crummy, isn't it? So I don't know if that's 
acid rain and, and uh, if it's uh, pollution or vandalism or, or what, but wow, it looked a lot nicer not that long ago. And now it's just disintegrating. Well, David took wives in Jerusalem and fathered sons and daughters. These are the names of the children. Actually, these are only sons born to him in Jerusalem. So not the earlier sons like uh, Amnon and, and, and uh, Absalom and so forth. These are just the Jerusalem boys. Shamua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, um, Elpelet, Noga, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Baaliada, and Eliphelet. Uh, none of the daughters. These are just the boys born in Jerusalem. They probably wouldn't think much of our girls or boys' names either, um, probably. Although, Jonathan, well, anyway... Uh, Benjamin. I have a couple who have biblical names. David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel because his kingdom had been lifted high for the sake of his people Israel. He's been blessed. They've won battles and now a couple more battles. Um, I got a repeat here of a verse. The Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel. So all the Philistines went up to search for David. These are careful words, aren't they? Not really against, but look for they going to honor him some way? David heard about it and went out to face them. The Philistines came and made a raid, oh, in the valley of Rephaim. Um, now, earlier in, in the previous chapter, one of the previous chapters in the, in the Mighty Men section, we heard that the Philistines were raiding in the valley of Rephaim, and three of David's mighty men went and did something. Remember what that was? They went and got water in Bethlehem for him. I think that was this battle. This is the same, I believe this is the same battle. Okay. And then David asked God, shall we go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? The Lord said to him, go on up. I will give them into your hand. So David attacks. They went up to Baal Perazim and David defeated the Philistines there. David said, Be my, by my hand, God has broken through my enemies like a wall of water. If you've got a little waterfall, how hard is it to put your hand through it? You know, it's nothing at all, is it? Um, so that is why they need... What would we say today? I went through them like a knife through butter. butter. Yeah, a hot knife through butter, right? Or a knife through hot butter. Which one is it? Hot knife through hot butter. Anyway, I don't know. The Philistines abandoned their gods there. David gave the order and they were burned with fire. So the gods of the Philistines were either wood or wood overlaid with metal. Some might have been stone. What happens to stone if you put it into a fire and then pour water over it? Cracks. Yeah, it smashes. Um, I was in my in-laws a couple of years ago and I, I wanted to have a, a, a Pepsi. And they didn't have any coal. And uh, so I got one that was sitting in the, like, in the, in the car. It was, probably was like 90 degrees, you know, this... And uh, so my mother-in-law pours a bunch of ice cubes into a glass, right? And I pour this 90-degree Pepsi in there. You know what happened? Broke the glass. Yeah, the, the, the ice cubes exploded with such force that it shattered the glass. Um, yeah. She, she said to me, we'll keep some cold for you next year, Tim. <laughs> The Philistines made another raid in the valley. David again consulted God. God said to him, do not go directly at them. Go around them and come to them in the area of the balsam trees. 
When you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, you are to go out in battle because God has gone out before you to strike the army of the Philistines. Um, I kind of laugh at some of the uh, attempts to explain the, the marching. Some people think it was hail or um, pistachio nuts. When they ripen, will crack. It's music. Um, it's music. Or some somebody said monkeys. Or or our angels walking. I mean, I think it was just a miracle of God that it, the sound appeared. But um, kind of curious. All of the pistachio nuts. I kind of appeals to me. I don't know. When you okay. So David did what God had commanded him and they struck the army of the Philistines from Gibeon to Gezer. I should have given you a map about that, I'm sorry. And David's reputation spread into all the lands. The Lord caused all the nations to be terrified. So his reputation rolled on ahead of him. Anything that far? Okay, bringing the ark back to, to Jerusalem... He doesn't have the, all these children yet. You know, one of those children was Solomon. David doesn't even have a house yet to look down on Bathsheba with yet. Yes, and they're going to be born to him in Jerusalem, but they're not born yet. So that's, that's a common. But, you know, the, the text does this back and forth. The way my grandma used to tell a story... You know, oh, as long as I mention Uncle Harold, he's the one who had the car accident. And, you know, and, and we go into all kinds of weird details, but it's not really relevant to the story. So we've got pieces here that fit in. Like we already heard the story about the Valley of Rephaim in the Mighty Men section. But here's where it happened chronologically. I think was while, just after David was bringing the ark back and while the ark was at Obed-Edom's house. You could even get the, the month period correct for that battle then. So, yeah. So, those babies aren't born yet. But, David does have more than one wife. Luther, I was just reading Luther today about this, about the, um, <clears throat> the obedient versus the heroic. He doesn't use heroic in a complimentary way. That many of God's children are clearly obedient. And of the patriarchs, which one has the best marriage um, by example for us. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Which one? Isaac. One wife. Right? One wife. He's not the best dad. He plays favorite with his sons, but he's, but with regard to his marriage. Um, and uh, so David would talk about the others as if they were, he, he says heroic in kind of a mocking way. Uh, the way that the, in Luther's time, the nobles were playing fast and loose with their they're um, uh, the ladies in waiting in the courts, things like that. And, uh, and Luther says sometimes they behave this way, but um, it wasn't necessarily pleasing to God. But God blesses David because of David's faith constantly. He is the dead center of my eyeball, God says. Um, I've always wondered why the King James says apple of my eye there. Because it, it was always confusing. Really, what, when, when God says the apple of my eye uh, about David, it's really the, the um, what's the black part of the eye? The pupil. That's, that's the word we would use. 
is the pupil, the center of my eye. I've got him, I've got him dead center of what I see. You know, that kind of thing. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.